Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Hey, we're back with the third and final episode of my conversation with Enkidu about the Epic of Gilgamesh. Now make sure you listen to the end of this one. Not saying you don't normally listen to the end, but especially listen to the end of this one because there's some really profound stuff in here. I mean, Enkidu may be named after a wild man, but we have a up-and-coming philosopher on our hands here. So, like I said, make sure you listen to the end. Now, when we left off, the goddess Inanna was really mad at Gilgamesh because he spurned her romantic advances. So, she sends the Bull of Heaven to attack. And let's see what happens now. Uh, and now, Enkidu and Gilgamesh, um, they, um, they, of course, want to defend the city. So, they charge the bull from each side of it and manages to kill it. And then Enkidu oh. goes uh, on to he rip one of their bull's scapulas off and throws it at Ishtar as to say, like, look at what we did to the beast. Like, yeah, you can't yeah. kill us. And the people of Uruk rejoice over their victory and gather around them and a big party is held in their honor at the palace of Uruk. Uh, but imagine the goddess is not happy. No, nah, she's pissed off at this time. Uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, what an ego boost. Like, you get the bull of heaven to to go to your city and kill you, and you just, like, rip it. You kill it. Off, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be like a woman scorned twice right there. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, at the night of the party uh, that was held in the palace, uh, Enkidu has a nightmare where he sees, like, the gods discussing uh, about the two. So he tells mm. Gilgamesh about his dream and goes on by saying that the gods have decided that one of them must die as a punishment for killing Humbaba and the Bull of Heaven. Uh, and the gods, like, they, they couldn't really decide on who to kill. And the sun god Shamash defended Enkidu and, um, because he, like, considered him to be innocent. But the mm. gods uh, decided that it should be Enkidu who died okay and uh, one day Enkidu got very ill and as he laid on his bed he cursed the hunter who first had spotted him and Shamhat who had persuaded him into following her to Uruk and uh, Shamash the god told Enkidu that uh, he should be thankful for Gilgamesh because in him he had found a real best friend so Enkidu listened to Shamash as he calmed down. And after that, Enkidu had another nightmare where he saw himself being taken to the netherworld by a creature. And um, he called on uh, Gilgamesh to help him, but Gilgamesh could not come for his aid. And after receiving this dream, his condition worsened. Uh, I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, uh, it's, uh, because like here he's like uh, he like curses the hunter and the, the the prostitute and he's like, why did you take me into the city? Uh, right. Everything went uh, pretty much very bad, and now Gilgamesh bursts out in sorrow over his dying friend and promises him. Promises him that the whole kingdom shall weep for him when he dies. And then mm-hmm. Enkidu's heart stopped beating, and Gilgamesh starts to scream out of sorrow and cries out loud. So. Wow. This is kind of like the gets to the real heart of the story, right? Which is mortality. Exactly. Human mortality, right? Well, like, uh, yeah, like the realization that like we're all going to die. Right. And he says, you know, why did I have to come to this city? I could have lived a good life out with the animals. And the God says, and you wouldn't have met your friend. And this is how it is. Just yeah. sort of, you know, the way it is. Like, I, what does the expression go? Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a very good point. Like, it's, uh, he's, uh, uh, he's very frustrated. And, of course, he's dying. So he's, uh, he curses everyone. And then the God is like, just accept except what's happening and like you yeah you found your friend and everything is all good and then he calmed down yeah uh, yeah yeah uh, good point yeah that's all right i got the chills myself right now it's just like it's a definite realization for sure yeah but, um, so after that uh, gilgamesh um, aimlessly wanders around the wilderness while he's uh, mourning his best friend and brother enkidu and um, Gilgamesh is uh, burdened by pain and sorrow and asks himself, am I going to die like Enkidu? He goes on by saying, I'm afraid of death and that's why I'm aimlessly wandering around the wilderness. 
Um, so there, Gilgamesh decides to go and find Utana Pishti, um, and that's uh, uh, Utana Pishti was the man who had saved humanity from the great flood and had been like granted immortality by the gods. And perhaps uh, Gilgamesh thinks that perhaps uh, Utnapishti could tell him uh, the secret of uh, eternal life. Aha. Uh-huh. So, so yeah, Utnapishti is like Moses, but really to say he this is where this where we sort of began the story where George Smith found this kind of parts. Well, the part you're going to get into uh, about Utnap. How do I say it? Utnap. I can't. Utanapishti, <laughs> I think. Yeah, you're like good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think, uh, did you say Moses? I think you meant Noah, right? I meant Noah then, yeah. yes. I definitely meant Noah. <laughs> Moses did not have the ark. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and yeah, this is um, another thing uh, that's uh, really interesting, like the death awareness, what it does to him. He's like, Am I going to die like my best friend? Like, oh shit! Like, I don't want yeah. to die. And before that, right. I don't think he ever like thought about death or anything like that. Right. And uh, right, I, that's a very human thing. Like, we all think about death, and for sure, like that's for sure one of the greatest fears. For sure. Yeah, then what happens? So then he does he find him? He finds up the... Oh, yeah, I can't even say it. He finds uh, him. <laughs> yeah, eventually. But like... Uh, okay. He goes on a long journey and he arrives by a mountain called Mount Mashu. And it's guarded mm-hmm. by great, like, scorpion-like creatures. And uh, Gilgamesh <laughs> tells them about his quest and they let him pass. So Gagamesh wanders for like 24 hours through a long pitch black tunnel through the mountain, but uh, makes it through eventually. And uh, then he spots an inn and goes there where he's uh, greeted by a divine alewife, the goddess Siduri. Um, he tells her about his intentions to go to Utnapishti and she attempts to tell him that it's impossible to go there as no man has ever done it before Um, and Gilgamesh refuses to accept that it's impossible and uh, later on Siduri gives in and she directs him to Urnashabi and that's uh, Utnapishti's ferryman who will take him there Um, Okay. so the ferryman uh, Urnashabi takes him across the uh, flood, or whatever to call it. Yeah, wherever he lives on an island or something, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so finally they arrive, and uh, Gilgamesh uh, greets Utnapishti by saying, like, when I look at you, I notice that you're just like me, so tell me, like, how did you end up amongst the gods, and how did you, uh, like, how come you gran- were granted immortality? And then in a long speech, um, uh, Utnapishti tells him that uh, nothing lasts forever and death in, is uh, inevitable. And even for Gilgamesh, who is two-thirds man and one-third god. Uh, so he goes on by telling Gilgamesh that he wish, his wish for immortality only leads to more suffering. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hmm. That's awesome. I would say that. I look at that. Yeah. Super he, he tells Gilgamesh that his wish for immortality only leads to more suffering. Yeah. Basically, he's just like, accept, accept. Yeah, exactly. Just like accept yeah. that you're going to die and just like live your life and be happy about it. Can I tell you how true that is? Though once you get over that, man, it is just like, hey, it is what it is. Not like you're ever like you know looking forward to it every minute, but it's a really true thing. I mean, four thousand years old. <laughs> I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but yeah. uh, I think like I think like the. Um, uh, fear of death is like everyone is trying to like avoid it and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, when you like have accepted it fully that's when you can like start to live your life uh, yeah and this is a- wisdom of the, you know people like they go the, an- the wisdom of the ancients as if they think it's like UFO stuff like this is the wisdom of the ancients exactly you know yeah so yeah anyway sorry so so now uh, Utnapishti tells Gilgamesh about the great flood and how he built the boat that saved mankind and how his uh, like that act uh, granted him and his wife a place amongst the gods. Um, so even though uh, Gilgamesh already like you. Uh, he, even though he already told him that death is inevitable, he gives him a chance to fulfill his wish by instructing him to stay awake for six days and seven nights. Gilgamesh fails and falls asleep straight away, and when he wakes up, he's <laughs> struck with despair. Okay. Uh, so Utnapishti tells uh, Urnashabi to take Gilgamesh back to Uruk, but before that, Urnashabi will perform like a purifying ritual for Gilgamesh, where he is um, like 
baptized almost in the flood. Wow. And then uh, he's giving like a shining robe that will stay clean no matter what on their way back. And <laughs> uh, when Unashabi and Gilgamesh are ready for departure uh, to get back to the boat, uh, Utnapishti's wife think that uh, Gilgamesh should be given like a farewell gift almost. All right. So Utnapishti calls him back and tells him uh, one of the god's secrets. So he tells him that on the bottom of the cosmic ocean, Apsu um, grows like the uh, the plant of uh, rejuvenation. Is that how you say it? Okay. Yeah, plant of rejuvenation. Yeah. So if Gilgamesh manages to dive down there and find the plant, he could restore his youth um uh, and uh, yeah, basically be young again. Right. It's not like nefs. It's not immortality per se, but he could keep, he could get rejuvenated. Yeah. So it's uh, better than nothing. Yeah, uh, I'll take that. And uh, Gilgamesh and Nunashabi uh, uh, make their way to um, uh, Apsu, and uh, Gilgamesh die, dives down, and he manages to find the plant, and it brings it back up. And uh, but at this point he's he's a bit uh, cautious because he knows that the gods um, they're not like always to be trusted. So <laughs> he decides to he's like yeah I'm gonna give this to uh, uh, a boy like and let him try it <laughs> and see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Maybe just rate busting on a wedding and make the bride eat it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, no, but I get it. Yeah, he just is. You know, he doesn't trust the gods now. Yeah. So, Gilgamesh um, and uh, Unashabi make their way back to Uruk, but uh, like on the way back, they stop by a pond with clear waters to rest. And uh, Gilgamesh decides that he want to go for a cooling swim and puts the plant of rejuvenation aside and takes his clothes off and goes swimming. And um, that's when a snake smells the fragrance of the plant. And uh, before Gilgamesh have a chance to intervene, the snake grabs the plant and eats it. And uh, Gilgamesh <laughs> looks at the snake crawling away while it sheds its skin. Wow. Uh, yeah. And, uh, the snake is still coming up in these old stories, right? Yeah. And um, yeah, I think it's uh, really interesting how, like, natural, uh, like, phenomena in nature gets, like, woven into these stories and, like, how the snake, like, sheds its skin because mm -hmm. it. Uh, had eaten the plant of the rejuvenation yeah. right i wonder i wonder if uh i don't know that they know nobody will ever know or maybe somebody you know but i i think you know how they found the the story of moses i'm sorry it's noah and now you know genesis has noah and has the adam and eve and you have two very this especially like this one tablet almost right where you have you have the noah character and then you have a snake take you know up to something where in adam and eve the snake talked them into eating the, the the tree of life from the tree of life and wisdom but now this snake basically steals this snake steals the rejuvenation the you know to rejuvenate your life yeah i mean it's uh, uh 
Can you check? All right. I'm back whenever you are. Yeah, I'm back. All right. Where were we at? We were at... Oh, yeah, the snake. Yeah, the snake um, sheds its skin. And then... Um, sheds its skin, yeah. Uh, so Gilgamesh, uh, like, when he realizes that he lost the plant of rejuvenation, like, his last chance to uh, have, like, a longer life, at least. Yeah. He falls to his knees and cries out of despair. Um, so his last chance to trick death had just, like, slipped right through his fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, Gilgamesh and uh, Urnashabi finally arrive, uh, like they make their way back to Uruk and um, Gilgamesh in, is like in some ways like a changed man and sees his yeah. old uh, city in new light and he proudly shows Urnashabi around Uruk and tells him like yeah look at Uruk's walls and look at this and that and yeah so uh, that's what's pretty that theme much... like? Basically, that yeah, you know, you're 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 not immortal, but you did, look at the work you did, and that's yeah, I get it. I can't put it into words, or anything, but I totally get it. Um, yeah, I think. I mean the the epic doesn't like say that like uh, what uh, what happened after that. That's like the end of uh, Tablet Eleven, I think it is, and then there's Tablet Twelve, okay. but that's like another. It's a bit complicated, and some people don't think that it should be a part of the epic. Yeah. I gotcha. It's kind of like the Bible in a way, where you have these these different stories and pieces are put together, and then they're put together into one story. Yeah. But, Amazing. Uh, yeah. So he basically like he didn't uh, he he like he never became like immortal or. He didn't uh, get rejuvenation or anything like that, but. I think he's like a changed man when he makes his way back to Uruk. Yeah. He's like wiser and, yeah. Yeah. He's older and wiser. Older and wiser. And he's learned some things. And that's. And, he, and then at the very end, he accepts his mortality, right, basically? I mean, uh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. He, I like, think so, too. That's why that he talks about. It's not going to happen, like. He just accepts whatever it is. And then he says, look at these walls I built. Look at this that I did. Hey, not bad. Yeah, exactly. Just like any of us in our life. You know, look at my family. Look at my house. I, You know, I made some mistakes. I did some things good. Yeah. That's what we get. Amazing. Yeah. So... um, What are some other morals of the story, you think? Well, um, I don't know. Like, uh, this is just, like, my own reflections. I know that, like... There's uh, many scholars who think many different things, but like the story, like for me, it's about like, yeah, love, uh, of course, like between Enkidu mm-hmm. and Gilgamesh, and they become best friends. And I mean, mm-hmm. some some scholars say that like this is like. Uh, that they had like a, a like a sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure about You're not that. sold on that one? There are some parts where he says they loved him like a wife or something, doesn't it? Like, Yeah, exactly. But I mean, I think, like, I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that there's, like, no other records from, like, all of Mesopotamia uh, about, like, 
homosexual relationships. Right. Yeah, so, it isn't a common theme then, not like the Greeks. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think like it would be weird if there's like just like one record of a like yeah, sexual right. relationship between yeah. So I, I'm not sure about that one. I, I, I like when I read it I I I think it's just like their best friends and yeah. Right. I mean, it's and, and like you said, there's so many different people that wrote the stories. You know, one person might have wrote it in such a way, another wrote it in a different way. So, you know, it's yeah. almost how you want to perceive it. Yeah. But uh, the, it's definitely about, like, love is a central theme. Uh, mm-hmm. Human love. Humans love for each other. Yeah. Another like another thing that I that came to my mind is like Enkidu, like he has like this pure nature when he's in the wild, and then mm-hmm. when he becomes civilized, he like I don't know, he's not so pure anymore. Right, he, he like when he kills Humbaba, you know, Humbaba's begging for his life, and even Gilgamesh is thinking, "Well, may I give him his life back?" And he's like, "No." And that led to his downfall. Exactly. And I think like yeah. the Enkidu that lived in the wild, he would he wouldn't like kill Humbaba. Right. He'd right, because be... Humbaba would have been a wild animal like him. Yeah, exactly. And like Humbaba was like the guardian of the forest. It was like Yeah, good Enk- point. Enkidu and Humbaba was like they were very similar in some ways. You're right. I didn't think of that until you just said it. So yeah, he's like, I don't know. Yeah, it was very pure and like, um, very like, um, yeah. He was like in living um, uh, in like harmony with uh, like the animals and nature and stuff. And then, yeah, and then he gets true. That's a theme. He gets like the the bread and the beer and it destroys him. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's a. It's a. The Romans used to. The Romans used to always wonder about their, you know, their past, and they would write, you know, um, poetry about how amazing it'd be to be a shepherd out in the woods and take care of sheep and things like that. And you know, we kind of do too. We 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 wax poetic for this rustic lifestyle. But then, do you really want to like literally, you know, scrape dung off of sheep? You know, I mean, that's not. You know. That's the balance of humanity versus, you know, being the civilized, in quotes, versus, like, living in nature. But, yeah. yeah. And the killing Humbaba. And what you said about that is really profound, I think, because, he, you know, here's Enkidu. He's taking antelope out of traps, and now he's killing the guardian of the forest. Yeah. 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 And I That's think awesome. It, Humbaba was also, like, living uh, with, the, like, apes, I think. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think there's something along that line. Yeah, yeah, it must have been a really, you know, like a primor- primordial forest, and probably, it's, you know, it kind of cut it down. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Uh, I mean, also the meaning of life, right? That's a big, obviously, theme. Yeah, exactly. Like, what's the meaning of life, and uh, and like also about like. Uh, yeah, to just, like, leave the city life and go out to live in nature. Like, this is a theme that, like, it's still very, like, central today. And, like, there's, like, the American writer uh, Henry David Thoreau. Like, yeah. have you read Walden? 
I I don't think I've maybe I have you know you know I'm very I'm familiar with it though for sure absolutely yeah so like Walden is about like living like the the city life and just like go out and live in nature right so this is like a it's like it's a very human thing to like yeah absolutely to become depressed it, it's just like the Walden went back to his cottage you know he didn't have to live on the open fire under in the woods. Yeah. Pick exactly. berries. You know, and hopefully he could kill a deer and live through the winter. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the difference, you know. Civilization provides you with the just life. Yeah. Uh, then you have the trade-off of you have to, you know, do things that uh, maybe we're not, not. You know, human beings have been human beings for 200,000 years and we only have been civilized for maybe, you know, yeah. 5,000 of them. 10,000. Sedentary, I guess, is the word. Sedentary versus being, you know, nomadic. What, what does that mean? Sedentary, like living in a city. Oh, okay. Like sedentary, yeah, just being in one place, farming essentially. Yeah. You know, there's a um, I can't think of his name, but he wrote the book Sapiens, and he's a philosopher, thinker. He's Israeli, but you know, he basically he says sort of like, who who's the slaves? The who's the slave? Like the wheat or the human beings? Like in other words, wheat has evolved to make human beings take care of it. Yeah, uh, you know. You mean? Uh, oh yeah, the Israeli uh, Noah Harari or something like that. That's right? his name. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, I always thought that it's like so. Who you know? So wheat, you know. So other you know things that grow in the woods grow, and they evolve. However, and humans pick them and use them in animals and whatever. But wheat is literally like humans take care of it make it grow you know it's one of the most common crops you know besides grass i think in the world and it's kind of grass anyway but you know so humans are sort of slaves to the wheat i mean yeah we are and i think like right was like the whole uh, the, the whole reason why we're sitting here like having a podcast on computers like because of wheat a hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's so right. weird, like when you think about it, like that was like uh-huh. catalyzed, like you know, yeah. right. And it's like us talking about that now is what Gilgamesh was too, and just much more poetic the way they wrote it. And of course, it was written in their time, so they understood it in that way more. Yeah. You know, but you know the difference between being civilized and being not, you know, a person of nature. Yeah. Another like moral of this, like uh, the danger of dealing with the gods, I think, you know, mm-hmm. and how he like saves the plant to give it to someone else before he takes it. Like it's not like this uh, Christian god that like yeah you can trust him he's he's the best god, uh, he's the right. holy god and he loves his children. Like Gigam is right. like oh, I'm not too sure about this, so he like saves right. the plant. Right. Yeah, that's just how nature was so, like I said, you know, when I, I equate their nature with the gods, and it was, it's like, oh, sure, I'm just going to eat this. Yeah. And uh, and I think, like, another topic is, like, uh, in the epic is, like, how, how to, like, become a better man. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, like, uh, the interesting thing about the, like, the... The kings in like ancient Mesopotamia, they were basically like as good, like the the best, the best person you could be because the god had given you this gift of uh, being mm-hmm. uh, a king. So 
here, right. here is Gilgamesh, and he's like, he's like the worst kind of human being um, mm-hmm. in the beginning, and he's like, um, yeah, very arrogant, and he lays with the brides and all these things. But then, like, uh, many different things happen, and then he comes back, and he's like, yeah, my, uh, this is my city, and it's like, yeah, he's a changed man. Right, you learn how to become a better man. Yeah. And he's sort of forgiven, too. I mean, you know, I don't know how those other husbands of the brides feel. But. <laughs> <laughs> he, like, fathered the whole, the, the half the city. Yeah, that's true, too. You never know. but And, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, it is an odd thing, but it was... Yeah, we have to assume a lot of those were arranged marriages at the time, so we'll give yeah. them a little pass. I think... Uh, like, and then just seize the day, too, right? Seize the day, carpe diem. Yeah, uh, because, like, in, a, in another version, I think... Uh, oh, I'm not too sure. I think it's the old version. That In that version, like, Gilgamesh uh, tells uh, Siduri about his uh, intentions to go to Utnapishti. And she attempts mm-hmm. to like persuade him into to uh, like accept his death as uh, inevitable with uh, uh, these words, and she says like, uh, "What you seek, you shall never find, for when the gods made man, they kept immortality for themselves. Fill your belly, day and night, make merry, let days be full of joy. Love the child who holds your hand." Let your wife delight in your embrace, for these alone are the concerns of man. Wow, oh, that's that nails it right there. Yeah, so wow, that's that's awesome. I mean, I don't know. I'm just like uh, amazed by like it, this was like so long ago. Like we're talking thousands yeah. of years, and it's basically I like know. like same things that we worry about today and think about like all the time they were doing like back then. Absolutely. So I bet two guys were sitting around talk before there was even writing. I want, I wouldn't be surprised if an old person told the young person, almost those words. Yeah. I don't read Can I want to read that again? What you seek, you shall never find for when the gods made man, they kept immortality to themselves. Fill your belly day and night. Make merry. Let the days be full of joy. Love the child who holds your hand. Let your wife delight in your embrace. For these alone are the concerns of man. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's, uh, it really is. I mean, even, we've come so far with technology and like we've made it to the moon and Mars and all these things. But like this is like sums up life. Yeah. <laughs> it does. It so does. It's still, I mean, and so there's other influences, I would imagine, today, right, um, from Gilgamesh? Uh, yeah, of course. Like, uh, so it's like, it's important to, uh, to know that, like, many different cultures have stories that are, in some ways or another, like, similar to the epic of Gilgamesh without, okay. without like, having a historical connection at all. So it's important to not to draw, like, any quick conclusions. Uh, for okay. example, like... Like writers from medieval times that seem to have been influenced by the Epic of Gilgamesh, probably like they gathered information from orally past stories in the Near East, but they probably never even heard of Gilgamesh or yeah, but like they may have been influenced 
by those stories, but not like they didn't read the Epic of Gilgamesh right. itself. So like, but there, there is, there are some examples. So like the Odyssey is one example where bits and pieces may have been like directly borrowed from the Epic. Oh, okay. Uh, so one example is the part of like uh, Telemachus and his mother, uh, Penelope. How do you say it? Penelope. 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 Telemachus? I'd say Telemachus. Oh, yeah. Telemachus and uh, Penelope. So, like, when she hears that her son uh, Telemachus is about to set foot on a dangerous journey and that people want to see him dead, she bursts out in tears. And when she calms down, she goes to wash her hands and puts on clean clothes and goes to the rooftop. And uh, on the rooftop, she prays to Athena and wishes Telemachus to return safely. And this is probably not a Greek ritual. Yeah. There's like there's a similar scene in the Epic of Gilgamesh where Ninson washes herself, puts on clean clothes, and goes to the roof and uh, burns incense while praying to Shamash for Gilgamesh's safe return. And uh, when she hears that Gilgamesh is about to go on this dangerous journey, oh, that's very interesting. Um, yeah, and I think I mentioned that part, but I didn't go into detail before. Yeah. Um, and uh, like it's difficult to say what is like what is directly borrowed from the Epic of Gilgamesh and what is not, but there are more examples from uh, Greek literature that I won't go into. Uh, but what is known for sure is that Gilgamesh's name was known in uh, ancient Greece. For example, there's uh, a story about, by the rhetoric teacher Alianus Claudius, who lived uh, 175 to 235 uh, AD and in the story um, he talks about a child named Gilgamos huh. and uh, yeah Gilgamos is the Greek like version of Gilgamesh uh, that's interesting yeah and then there's of course there's the flood story from the Bible which certainly you know borrowed from that epic right from from Gilgamesh yeah and that's like we know that the flood story is like a hundred percent like directly borrowed because like there are so many similarities between like yeah. know, the flood story with the bird flying out and like all these things. But like as writing spread to, to neighboring areas of Mesopotamia, a big part of uh, how to learn how to write uh, cuneiform consisted of uh, copying old texts. So many cuneiform mm. tablets have been found in uh, Palestine, uh, like modern-day Israel. Right. Uh, but there are. There I bet. Um. I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. I was going to say. I bet. I bet. Uh, I, I wonder. Or I, a lot of it must have came from the Babylonian captivity too, when they were, you know, when the when the when the Hebrew scribes were in captivity in Babylon in the. 500s BC and probably had their got you know they probably wrote a lot of those we think they wrote a wrote a lot of parts of the Bible then and they edited a lot of parts of it and I would imagine that they had access to Epic of Gilgamesh there I mean if it wasn't already part of oral culture yeah but, I mean uh, of sure. course uh, how 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 many how long did they stay for a couple of hundred years right. About a hundred, a little less than a hundred till Persians. Um, I, it's so funny. I tell when I talk in the podcast, I'm like, I try not to get too far ahead in my own mind, 
it was about the late 500s, 580s that that they were that they were brought to Babylon and um yeah, so it was not that long. It was probably only a couple generations. And then they started to come back when the Persians when the Persians took over, which was still in the 500s. Okay. But uh, yeah. uh, do you know where where the Bible was uh, written? Well, that's a whole other story, probably. So, yeah. I um, don't know. Yeah. It's the the Bible is just so many books, so it's like Gilgamesh on crack. Not on crack, I shouldn't say. It's like it's like Gilgamesh on steroids because there's yeah. so many scrolls and parts, and they found them and put them together. Yeah, and that's a good opportunity to put out a shout out to my good friend Gary Stevens of History in the Bible. You should, anybody should totally check out that podcast. You too, and you do it's like start right from the beginning. Gary is awesome. He really, it's really good. Yeah. That's the answer to who wrote the Bible. Check out Gary's podcast. <laughs> I'll check it out. But yeah, definitely. Like, of course, it was written in uh, many different, like by many different people on uh, very long yeah, time. and in different languages. So amazing. But I another mean, great uh, piece of literature. Uh, what, do you know what part of the Bible, like the floods? Is it Genesis? Oh, it's in Genesis. Yeah, Genesis. it's definitely in Genesis. So you have the, you have Adam and Eve with the snake, like we talked about, and goes through. And then you have you have the patriarchs who came from Mesopotamia, Abraham, and all them. And then you go in, um, and then eventually, yeah, you get. Then the gods got mad. God, I'm sorry, God got mad, and um, you know, destroyed the earth, and Noah had to start it all over. Mm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like <laughs> they they must have been like. Uh, uh, influenced uh, uh, in uh, like the Babylonian captivity, but uh, for certain. But like uh, like cuneiform, like it, it spread like uh, all through the uh, like Near East and like neighboring uh, uh, places. Right. And uh, I wonder that do, do we have any copies of Gilgamesh in like not in cuneiform? Like, do we have it in Hebrew or Arabic or anything like that? Like I that's mean, old. I wonder. I- no, not. Uh, not like uh, n- not the way like there's uh, versions like the Greek uh, like uh, where it had been influencing other uh, writers mm-hmm. but not like the Epic of Gilgamesh uh, yeah no translation that's a mini- that's a, that's that's kind of interesting it must have gotten lost at you know some point perhaps maybe when at some point it must have gotten lost obviously I believe I must have. You know, I think I must have. You know, baby, I think I must have. You know, I think I must have. I must have got lost. I know that it, like, there are, um, um, uh, the, the epic is written in other languages, except for, like, Assyrian, Babylonian, Sumerian. But okay. I'm not sure if, it's written in other uh, like uh, forms. I think it's still cuneiform. Okay, yeah. I mean, until we start translating it, like now, but right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But that's super interesting. That really is. Yeah. So, like the the epic was like, um, yeah, many different forms, of course, and um, different cultures. But uh, uh, it was huge. Like you. It was a, a, an important text. Obviously, but definitely at some point it must have got lost. Yeah. 
or hmm. at least like it continued in other forms. Right. Well, yes. Right. Where we read and know in the Bible, it's not. They're not saying Gilgamesh, right? And it's not. It wasn't just translated and copied into a different language that we found anyway. Yeah. I would be surprised if it were if it weren't. But the problem is, if that would be on paper, you know, and then not, we wouldn't have it anymore. Uh, let me just because uh, there's like uh, there's an older uh, Sumerian version uh, as well, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce uh, this name, but Siyasutra. That be the right I pronunciation. Think, I think I heard about that. There's a flood myth in there, right? Yeah, exactly yeah, about the flood myth, and yeah. Yeah, I have heard about that. Um, there obviously must have been a flood. Yeah, I I, I think so. Yeah, it had to I be think, some kind of massive, massive flood. I think uh, like the scholars of today are pretty much uh, uh, agrees that it like it must have been something like a big flood or something, or many different floods like. Right, that's the question. Is there was there many different floods? Like was there one? In, was there ones because Chinese have flood myths and Americans have flood myths and you know obviously this Middle East flood, East flood myth. So there may be just been huge floods every so often. Yeah. Or I have read a couple years ago. I haven't heard any more information on this, but there was somebody who had a theory that you know how the dinosaurs were killed by a meteor that possibly around you know three thousand four well. 3000 BC, something like that, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. Maybe the a maybe an asteroid hit the ocean and made a huge tsunami. Yeah. All over the world, you know, so that would be the reason there be so many flood myths. I mean, it absolutely could be, but uh if it was an asteroid, I think like because the Mesopotamians were like obsessed with the sky and everything that happens with like so I think they would have like written that down if they saw a big. Well, the thing is, it could have hit like so. This guy's theory, maybe it might have hit in the Pacific Ocean or something. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, of yeah, course. it could have hit anywhere. And then this mass, and so that's why the whole world they just boom, boom, and then there's this massive flood all over, just all the coastlines of the entire world gets flooded. Oh wow, yeah, right, that's a thought. <laughs> yeah, but I think like um, yeah, because like I mentioned before, like the especially with the flood, like it's a um, it's a theme that like you have it all across the world and without right. like, having any historical connection between like these right. cultures. So, yeah. Oh, it's totally something that's uh, captured the captured the imagination and the and the world dying to know what it is to, for a lot of people. And now we have a new flood story with the like the rising uh, sea. Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> climate change. Climate change was the original flood. Yeah. <laughs> right? There was an ancient civilization, the whole thing. But, uh, like, oh, uh, yeah, uh, I was going to say that there are, like, similarities between, like, the Epic of Gilgamesh uh, and, uh, like, there's some, like, with the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, 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 1001 Night, and as well as the, like, Alexander Romans. There are oh. like some similarities uh, there, and the Quran as well, but I like won't go into that too much. I leave that for the scholars. And then the, there's like a, uh, this is actually a Swedish uh, writer called uh, Taina Kantela. Shout out to her. She's uh, she's written her own like uh, um, translation of the Epic of Gilgamesh, and she told me about the uh, uh, Mendeism and uh, which is like a 
agnostic religion from uh, southern okay. Mesopotamia. So they're like the one of the indigenous people of uh, Mesopotamia. And they speak Aramaic. Um, so like the Mandaeans, they uh, they practice like agnostic uh, gnostic religion with uh, where they perform like baptism, uh, where they wi- uh, wear like white clothing and uh, huh. so on. And she told me like uh, about because she saw some connections between when Gilgamesh like gets baptized by Unashabi mm-hmm. and gets his like shining uh, robe. Uh, hmm. So there are like some connections there, and I know like uh, Mandaism has like uh, bits and pieces from a different kind of uh, different uh, religion, but it's a religion. Uh, it's a completely re- uh, like a uh, independent religion. Like it's not okay. Uh, yeah. That's interesting too, for sure. And you could see that you know definitely with the baptism part what we talked about in the story. Yeah, exactly. We'll have to um, make sure you give me her a link to her so we could put her on the show notes for Swedish listeners. Yeah. Uh, so she, she she's written um, one book called, uh, like, um, I'll say it in Swedish because this is for the Swedish uh, yeah. listeners. So, Arvet och Arvtagarna and Inanna Skymningens Drottning and Gilgemeshiaposet. So there are three books about uh, Mesopotamia. Um, that uh, uh, Tina Cantor and Leonard Barings uh, wrote together. And uh, these are really good books. I love them. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, well, we'll link those. And I'm going to link, I'll link the one I referenced, The Buried Book. Yeah. Which uh, is, I'll tell you, well, I love that book. I'll look, the, uh, look into that one as well. want to read it. Yeah. And there's, uh, there's um Andrew George, uh, he's a professor of Babylonian, and uh, he has a lecture on the Epic of Gilgamesh on Spotify and I think YouTube as well. And uh, okay. he is the writer of the Penguin Classics, the Epic of Gilgamesh. Okay. Uh, and then there's uh, the professor that I mentioned before, Simo Parpola, and he's a Finnish uh, Assyriologist and a professor. And he has uh, dedicated his whole life to the study of uh, Assyriology. And uh, he, I think he specializes in Neo-Assyrian. Uh, yeah, times. his name comes up on my research. Yeah. And uh, he has written his own translation of the Epic of Gilgamesh, where he like goes uh, more into like the hidden uh, uh, esoteric uh, knowledge or whatever to call it. Uh, okay. I'll try to find that and link that as well. Send the link to that. This has been awesome, hasn't it? I hope the listeners like it because, I mean, I think we um, we really covered a lot about it without even reading it. Yeah. We could, you know, you could read. I feel like these old things, if you read, just read them um, in a vacuum, you don't understand what they're talking about. Yeah. And I think, like, I don't know, like, we, uh, I make my interpretation, you make yours, of course, but I think, mm-hmm. like, to fully understand it, I think um, to know, like, Acadian would be really good. <laughs> wow! Yeah, because like they they must have been thinking like because uh, like uh, the language that you read something in like it, it it's it's a it's a like uh, in every every language you have a, sp- a special like way of thinking. So I wonder how it right. would be like to read the epic in Akkadian and to understand like. Yeah. Yes, I think that would. Be- I, I know exactly where you're going with that. I totally do. 
Uh, I think like this has been so much fun. I was like a bit nervous before we did this, but uh, I love talking about this, and I think it has been uh, so much fun. You did great. He did do great, didn't he? I mean, you really <laughs> did. It was really very, very. And I think we'll do more because we didn't even t- hit on a couple of things we talked about. Like, for example, we talked about how Saddam Hussein, you know, was he loved the Epic of Gilgamesh, and he wrote he wrote books that are. I mean, he wrote novels. Saddam Hussein wrote these novels, and that they're, you know, sort of Gilgamesh-ish. Gilgamesh-ish. So, yeah, there's a lot. And we're going to... Like, there's so many different ways of looking at this, and I would love to be on the podcast again, I think. uh, Please. Uh, You know, I would say to listeners, if you have any um, things that you would like to... Enkidu and I to talk about, we'll we'll do that. Um, Or obviously, Enkidu, whatever you got, you know, in mind. Yeah. I'm game. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I I love the Neo-Syrian Empire, so if you want to talk about that, then... Well, we're definitely going to have to jump on it, too, because unfortunately, we are in getting into the 630s, which means we're coming to the end of the Neo-Syrian Empire. Oh, yeah. Per se. Uh, oh, yeah, we're we're going to drag it out. Uh, I've been thinking about this. Maybe the listeners have uh, uh, can tell you what they think, because um, I... Uh, love to like because i'm a syrian i love to i've read a lot about like what happened to the syrians after the empire fell so when you've done with when you're done with the empire and uh, nineveh has fallen and everything maybe we can go and and uh, do an episode on what happened afterwards Let's totally do that. I, I only know one resource I found any inf- much information on that. It was a YouTube, it's a YouTube video. I watched it a couple times. I've listened to it, and it's a, it's just a, it's an Oriental Institute presentation. I think his name. He's a German seriologist. Helmet something. Can't think of his name. Yeah. But um, yeah, he goes into that, and it, yes, we're not going to give any spoilers. We should definitely research that. And we'll talk about that. Yeah. Because like. Of course, like the empire fell and all these things, but there's like, uh, like the Assyrian Church of the East uh, became right. like uh, geographically like the biggest church in the whole world, and it stretched like all the way from the Middle East to China to India. Oh wow! There are many like uh, Assyrian, uh, like um, Syriac uh, Orthodox uh, churches in India today. Where they have like practicing, uh, where they practicing like uh, Christianity, and they still okay. use like Aramaic in church. So, oh like, wow! The empire, sure, it fell, but like it continued in a different form, and uh, like uh, the Assyrian culture very much like lived on and still lives on today. Good and the nice parts too, like not the fleeing and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my ancestors weren't the nicest people. (laughs) Yeah, they lived in a rough neighborhood. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, though. (laughs) So, all right, yeah, so we're definitely going to do that. I'm glad, you know, um, for the listeners, for sure, if you have any ideas, um, message me, message the Facebook page. How can people get in touch with you if you want them to, Enki No. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, well, Are you on Twitter, link, uh, Facebook, we'll put a link somewhere. Yeah, Facebook, yeah, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah. You know, or just ask me. Well, Email. and only if you have good things to say. No, yeah. You know. I mean, I would love to get some feedback. Uh, that would be okay. Great. 
Give us some feedback on. Or, if only if you have anything bad to say about me, you don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. I could take it. I appreciate it. So yeah, thanks, Anki. Do thanks, uh, listeners, and um, we'll keep these uh, collaborations going, right? Yeah, of course. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.